behind the shade. You're going to be me today and I'm going to be you. That's right. I just need one last thing. And it was kind of actually scary now that I think about it. Well, welcome to my world. So, shall we begin? Yes, yes. Well, it's interesting that I found that when I've been offered the, the uh, great fortune to interview, I should say discuss or have a conversation with those who are empathic and are interested in others, that it's about time for them to shine. Mm. So, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yes, yes. So, my name is Terrain and I'm in finance. That's my Monday to Friday, my nine to five. But a little bit more personal about myself is that I love speaking to people. I love hearing other people's stories and I feel like I can relate through my personal journey as well. So for those who don't know, I grew up without my mother or father. Um, I was raised by my grandmother and I didn't meet my parents until I was about five or six years old. Um, I was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and then we were reunited in Ontario. And my first memory of them is their actual wedding. I was the ring bearer at their wedding. So that's the first memory I have of my parents. And then fast forward, um, we weren't really that close, obviously, because the first five or six years, they, they were not there. But the beauty of it is the community actually helped to raise me. Uh, people who necessarily didn't look like me, who didn't walk like me, who didn't speak like me, they showed me the concept of family. And then from there, um, I learned so much. And I'm so grateful for multiculturalism because um, I learned a lot from other cultures, from other religions, um, people with different eye colors, hair colors, skin colors, and everything. And here I am today thinking um, I can be the best person I can be at the same time helping people to believe and become that they can be the best person that they can be. I'm curious you mentioned that, that you like to speak to people and hear their stories. To what extent do you like to speak with others? I would say that I want to hear why someone does what they do, right? So for example, with you, um, hearing your journey made me understand you. And I think that made the connection you and I have stronger because you have your journey, which has trauma along the lines. And I have my journey, which has trauma along the lines. And I think what made us relatable is that we had it earlier on, right? And then it kind of manifested itself into different ways as we grew into adulthood versus someone who went through their trauma 30s and 40s and now they're trying to figure it out which they're probably better equipped to but they don't have that period of self-healing self um reflection and growth so that's where i like to connect with people on that level but if it wasn't for the pandemic i would have loved to do it face to face have you found that um i'm very interested in what you just what you just said and that um one may experience the pandemic depending on one circumstance. I mean, if someone is in, for example, an abusive relationship, forced to be in lockdown, it can exacerbate and be, um, it could be a chronic issue with regard to abuse in the home. And this is just an example. And then it could um, extend into ongoing chronic abuse and then become acute. And or um, let's say there's a parent who is not used to schooling their child and then is forced is a harsh word 
encouraged strongly to homeschool and there may be tensions rising and or individuals who may have a, a quite a public presence and used to engaging with individuals in the community and then not able to do so. There may be a sense of loss almost. Uh, Kugler Ross, there's this, these stages of death and dying, but really stages of, of loss, stages of grief and a mourning period. So I, I, I heard that you mentioned that um, if it weren't for the pandemic, you'd like to have these conversations face to face. To what extent, for example, are you seeing face to face at this moment? There's a few people um, that I've interviewed face to face um, under the, the conditions where you keep your distance, so on and so forth. Um, so I brought my microphone, I brought my tripod, I brought my recording device, everything, right? And it was fun. Absolutely. You know what, what? It made me feel like I was like a Hollywood producer. You are. You know, I had this angle here, I had the person here. And it was interesting because when it's similar to you earlier today, like when it's face to face, all of a sudden people want to take their appearance and what they're saying up a level, right? Like the energy is just different face to face versus here, you know, you can go off the person's body language, you can see their smile, you can see their energy and it gets you in the mood, right? When I first started this, when I had my dream of this two years ago, I wanted to do it face to face, meaning that I, because I love to travel, I would have gone to where you are, where you are, and I would have set up and, and did it because I think when you have someone in their element, in their home, in their safety, in their castle, it's a totally different experience. And I, I will get there. Um, no doubt I will get there, but now it's, it's allowed me, I can reach out to people with an email. Mm -hmm. Right. And then we're sharing like your network is, you know, we're, I'm tapping into your network, you're tapping into mine. And when you mentioned the the examples like domestic violence and people, you know, now they're in a home and, and things like that, I look at it and I feel if your escape was going outside, mm -hmm. as mm -hmm. simple and as conventional as that may be, for a lot of us, we can't even do that now. Right. So, Everyone's in their own little bubble, but their bubble is smaller. Right. Now, right. So I would have loved to be able to take my energy on the road and say, you know what, Laura, I'm coming to you. Right. You know, we hug, we embrace, we get right down to, to the interview. And then, you know what, we, we go on our merry way. But that connection, that energy, you can fill a room with it. You know, I, I know your energy is so thick. It's, 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 it's not even palpable. I mean, it's so thick. I I can't, for example, this is uh, for me. I've never felt more connected in my life, and um, maybe because I just have a cat, and <laughs> I have this opportunity. There's this open open space, so I receive, and I'm quite demonstrative. However, I can shut the door on anytime and close. When you're face to face in well, this space to face for me anyway, it's virtual, and I can touch. If you're in China, I can still contact you and have have that connection. And I wonder. Does it, does, it, does it depend on the location, the degree to which, from your experience, because I don't have the experience that you have as a, as a podcaster, as a person who's global like you do. You don't, I don't have that presence as you do. I'm wondering though, that the intensity with which that you connect, that I know you connect with your audience, do you sense that there's any barrier um, right now regarding just the fact that we are here in space and there's just space between us we're right here 
does it matter how far the distance do you have to be, do I have to touch you? Cause I can touch the computer. That's not the same. I think now, no, because we've got so used to it, but I will say when we come out of it, that's going to be the struggle. But what I would say is I'll use you and I as an example. The connection we have is organic, right? Mm -hmm. And it's created by the back and forth, by the comedy and the connectedness mm -hmm. of it. Now, you put you and I in the same room. Imagine how that's going to be amplified. There's some people that mm -hmm. the reason I connect, the reason I believe I connect well with them is I have that day or two connection before. I get mm -hmm. them comfortable in the buildup. And then I do my intro. Thank you, for, thank you for another episode of Behind the Shades, your host, Terrain. But today's a little bit different because you're interviewing me. Mm -hmm. So I think that banter back and forth, but... You know how it is. You remember um, when you, let's say you go to a cocktail party. That's probably the most social event you can. Everyone looks nice. Everyone's has their hair styled. Everyone has the best date they can get. But it's purely conversation. The person that doesn't talk, that's in the suit, that's in the dress in the corner, they stand out mm -hmm. because everyone else is doing that. But there's no barrier in regards mm -hmm. to the connectivity. But I think there's a barrier in regards to the energy that you can give or you can receive because I've done 110 interviews and there's probably 50% of them that I still connect afterwards like you and I to this day. I'm so curious because you have this energy you were mentioning this it's kinetic it's organic and you just have this way that um no matter what in in my heart what I know for sure is that everybody's got something I've talked to generals, I've talked to presidents, I've talked, you know, I don't care who it is, where you are, or what you do. Everybody's got something. I may never know what it is, and I don't need to know. I just know that, and it may never be revealed. You got something, I don't know what it is. I got stuff. I got stuff. You know my stuff. And in the words of Tony Morrison, when your children walk into the room to your eyes like, and you offer that space. So who's offered you, who, who's offered you Who's shown their eyes light up to you? Whose eyes lit up when you've entered their space? Domestic violence survivors has um, has touched me in a way that I didn't think it would. Um, my background is that I went to school for paralegal. So I'm familiar with the law. I'm familiar with the, with the stats and everything. I had to learn it to graduate. Um, but it's different to read a number than to see the people behind that number. Um, I'm big on numbers. Anyone that knows me, I love looking up stats. Um, some days I'll spend an hour to looking up stats. But mm -hmm. when you connect with the person, when I look at you, you're more than just a percentage of women that look like you that go through this. When I tell my story, I'm more than a percentage of men that look like me that go through this. You're making it real. So when anytime I interview someone and they enter my world, mm -hmm. I feel that they're bringing something from their world into mine. And then as, and then there's a point in the interview where it switches and then I'm bringing something into their world. And I give you an example. When I start off the interview, I'm getting to know that person because I'm getting that person to enter my world and say, this is what I bring to the world of terrain and behind the shades. And then outside of the formality of it, when I connect with that person, I say, okay, why are you here? Like, why is it that, you want to keep going. And when they tell me their reason for, for going, that's when I know mm -hmm. I've gone from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, 
and my universe straight into their world and most importantly straight into their heart because they're telling me something that they may not have shared to other people and they haven't even known me that long wow wow so it's behind the shade lifting the veil almost tell me the the um how did you come up with and from where did it manifest behind the shades so behind the shades it's actually a play on words um in the summertime i love wearing shades like these sunglasses right and it's always it's always a running joke because some people say oh you know you're wearing the shades so when you look at the girls they can't see where your eyes are going well that might be part of the reason <laughs> i know nothing i say nothing i hear nothing <laughs> but it was a twist on bts which is behind the scenes so behind the scenes of someone's life so what i put out into the world this is polish what you put on the world is polish but what is laura without the sweater on what is terrain without the shirt on how are we when we're at our most vulnerable when we're not putting on a presentation for the world so behind the scenes so with me mm-hmm. it was like what is train behind his shades meaning the mind behind the eyes behind the shades and then that's how i came up with that the mind behind the eyes behind the shades So what's behind the shades? What do you know to be true for you based on the hundreds, possibly thousands of interviews you've done? What do you know about when a person, a, um, a guest, friend, a colleague, a family member presents to you and do you, is there a sense, I just, this is kidding, is there a sense where you see a shift, like when the shades, metaphorically, when the shades just kind of come off? Is there like, a, like you know, like when that happens? I, I can see it, you know it, like you feel it, you see it. When I feel that moment where the person's letting their guard down, immediately, one of the questions I would ask them, or one question, I'll break it down by, by gender because their answers tend to be a little bit different in my experience. So for the women, when I see that... The shades is being i'm starting to peer through it right or the veil is is coming down i'll ask them a question what would i ask them one of two questions what would you tell a younger version of yourself you remember that question or two what would you tell the next generation of women and each of them have taken a step back so this is what i would tell myself 10 15 years ago this is what i would tell the future me meaning they're talking to their generation of women what the men always ask them How would you what would you change in your life or knowing what you know now how would you want to create the family dynamic that you want to create and then that's where they take a step back because I speak to a lot of fathers I speak to a lot of husbands or I speak to a lot of people that want to go down that road mm-hmm. you know when someone is beginning to open up you know when the person takes a step back and you can see metaphorically mm-hmm. the wheels in their in their mm-hmm. mind turning Mm-hmm. right because now they're starting to open up in a way that maybe they couldn't before but because at the end of the day everyone needs that shoulder besides their own to cry on everyone so when's the last time you cried the last time that i cried was when my sister fell sick and she actually collapsed in the parking lot this was some time ago and It's a vulnerable situation for anyone to be in, especially I would say a woman. Um but you know, it was you feel powerless because I think 
and I probably some people may or may not agree with me. I still think one of the primary roles of of a man is to be to a degree a protector of, of the home. Right. So for me, I was always close to my brother and sister, maybe not so with my parents, but brother and sister were always close. So when that happened, that was the last time I actually I actually cried because I felt that at that moment in time that I wasn't anywhere to be found when my sister needed me the most. Oh wow, that was huge. Is that you weren't anywhere to be found, meaning here and or there. Or you couldn't find yourself. I would say there physically, because when it happened, I just wasn't, I was at work at the okay. time. Um, but emotionally um, and mentally, I was always, I will always be there for, mm-hmm. for my sister. Um, but maybe at that time I, I wasn't there and maybe that's what put her in a situation. Not saying that I was a cause of it, but maybe she felt that she was missing something. Yes. Right? I hear that. Yes. And it's, I can, I sense that as an empath, that it's the possibility of, did I do anything that might have encouraged hurt or pain or, um, and that tension is in your discomfort. And then at the same time, what did I not provide that was not helpful? Not necessarily harmful, because we, when we don't know, we don't know. And it's, it's, um, I don't want to say conceited, maybe narcissistic, narcissistic is not the right word, to assume that we would know because someone assumes us to, to, to have that knowledge. That's not accurate because you can't read what someone else thinks or to know what they're thinking. And there's only a certain point to which someone can offer what they have the capacity to give. So for example, if someone needs something from you or anyone, it's a, there's a certain responsibility in the relationship to provide information. So when your sister collapsed and you were not available for whatever reason and you heard about what happened in that moment you're there not the thoughts that feeling of where did you feel it in your body i felt it in my heart at that point um i know that she's been going through a lot and that's what i that's what i felt i felt it in my heart what did your heart speak well i I felt like i was feeling her pain you know, that it was being transferred into me. You, what did your heart speak? I want to be there for my sister. I love my sister. How did that feel that you weren't? I should have been there when it happened, regardless of what was going on. That's what my heart was telling me, even though um, probably would have happened anyways. But at least my response time could have been faster than it was. What? How does shooting on yourself feel? It doesn't feel good. Um, because when you think about it logically, you know, it happened at a time where you were away and it could have happened any other time when you were there or not. Um, so when you put the feelings to a, a side, you begin to understand more and you can position yourself to be better. And it hasn't happened since. And even at that same time, the feelings run so deep. They're just like daggers sometimes. It pulls, they say pulls, pull your heartstrings. The, the, there's, there's facts. You weren't there. It, not you weren't there. The environment, the universe, the universe, one song, you know? verse one song set up in such a manner that um i'm not with my son right now i think about if something happened to him it's not a fault it it's circumstances and at the same time it's why didn't i leave five minutes earlier and or how come i didn't make the call last night and or <clears throat> all these these thoughts <clears throat> i beg your pardon that 
run through the mind and the mind is um, being able to prevent ourselves from going to self-sabotage because the judge comes out and the sticker comes out and the perfectionist and the hypervigilant and the hyperachiever and whatever the saboteurs are. And then when you're in, I, I sense Jedi, I sense sage with you in that there's not just a mannerism, there's just a sense of being that all will be well, regardless, no matter what. And if this is accurate, when did you first start to know that you could call upon your stage powers and know that whatever happens, that you have the power to navigate, to activate, to innovate, to empathize, whatever the circumstance, whatever the person, whatever whatever's in going on within you, to know that all will be well. And I would say probably at the age of 23, when I, when I moved out of my parents' home because of the, the toxic nature at the time of it, um, their marriage was breaking down. That's when I realized that it's up to me to make everything well. Um, I was still finishing up um, college at that point, college university at that point. Um, I was working. Now I had to pay rent. Um, I had to furnish an apartment. So that's when it hit me that I have the power to control what I wanted to do. Um, I remember I was working retail as an assistant, um, as a system manager. So I had a job that was that was pretty decent, especially at, at that age, right? Like how many assistant managers are in their early 20s and still in school? So I remember I would go to work during the day, then have school afterwards. I had to change my whole setup. So, you know, um, but with that said, I was dedicated. And I said, I can control this because I can't control the family I was born into. So let's put that to the side. Mm-hmm. And this is what I did. And then from there, I went into finance and from finance, I became a manager and then everything was just, it's interesting. Like I look back and I remember the type of person that I was that two years, a year and a half before that religion became, um, it was a total shift, a total shift. Um, I grew, I changed everything. What was changing on the inside was beginning to manifest itself on the outside. You know, I grew the, I was baby face, clean shaven here. I was like, I need a whole transformation to match what's going on inside. I grew the beard. I grew the hair. I started to read more. I started to look up stats. I started to do all these things. My nose was in the book so much post-graduation that I felt that I was losing myself in literature to the point where I remember Timing myself, okay, Trent, you're going to read an hour a day. I'll shut everything else. I'll get one light on, shut off the TV, turn my phone on, off, put the timer on and read. I became this person. The person I am today is because in my early 20s to my late 20s for the last decade, I realized I had to be better, I had to take control of my life because I didn't want to become another statistic. Mm-hmm. Young black man without his parents and everyone else knows that story. You know, I can nod my head till the, till, the, till the cows come home. I don't know your reality. I don't know your experience. I've heard it. And so all I can do is nod my head and say, I cannot even imagine what it's like to every single day. So I'm, I'm grateful that you are, are sharing this with me. I'll never know. I'm here witnessing and hoping to provide a safe space with which I can learn to help be part of the solution. Oh, and you've definitely done that. And that's why I love the friendship that you and I have, because we're learning from each other and... 
That's all that it comes down to. I was telling one of my friends the other day, with everything that's going on in the world, we don't need more division and more tension. We just need love and appreciation. That's all. There's a certain point at which I'm, I, I'm, I, I want to <clears throat> step aside and say, I don't have to be the center of it because I don't want to be. I don't want to be in the limelight. I'm happy to be on the team. When others shine, I'm happy to be in their ray. When others excel, I am filled up because I'm affiliated with them, because I know them. There's nothing wrong with me. There's wrong with the system. I remember, if I may share a story, I was teaching at Illinois State. I was, uh, I already graduated. I was, yeah, I was uh, working, I was finishing up my doctorate and I was, my alma mater, Illinois State, called me back. They needed a slot filled and my assistantship had run out at, at Purdue. And, so to speak. Long story short, I was able to fill for a year so I didn't have to worry about sleeping on the street. And so I was teaching a class, um, Introduction to Sociology. We were on theory. And um, we got to the section on symbolic interactionism and um, the whole concept of wealth, power, and prestige. I'm sorry, conflict theory. And wealth, power, and prestige as a means of power within the society. And a great game called Musical Chairs. Have you ever heard of it? Yes, yes. I remember playing that. Absolutely. So there's a, I love this game. Well, wait for it. So I would do the, 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 the 75 minute class, you know, Tuesday, Thursdays, and you, the, the, the students are there and, you know, play the game the first time. They're all like fighting. In fact, a Marine actually, he, um, there was the, the desks where, um, the desk, because it's the chair and then it has the thing coming off from the side and then there's the desk in front of you. So like there's an open spot where you can enter the desk from the side and it was open, but not a, not a door, not necessarily. But the, the, the desk itself and the chair were, were attached to one another. So in the first round, you know, this Marine, he was so great. He puts his hand on the front part of the desk. And then the desk goes, he's fighting with this guy to get the chair. And he goes um, fingers first on the ground, breaks his fingers. So they're in competition, right? So then we start the second round. Same game, different rules. So yes, a chair is taken away every time that the music stops. However, nobody is taken out. You gotta find a place to sit, and you can't see seat can't sit on any other chairs, especially those that uh, have been taken, and um, or any desks or anything else inside the room, except for what's left in the circle. So every time that the music stops, a desk is taken away, and they have to maintain themselves within their group. That is, it's like a little, it's like a little um, group, like a little cohort, so to speak. And so essentially, at the end of the game, the last chair is taken out. There's no chairs to sit on. Because, you know, before that one person sitting on one chair, the last chair is taken. They end up in a circle. They're sitting on each other's laps. That's the difference between competition and cooperation. Everybody can win. There's no cap on joy. There's no cap on happiness. There's no cap on success. How about we get along and I can revel, I can I can see you on the side, I can be part of your life and say, yes. And when you win a gold medal and or you just got through the day, that's your success. And I can appreciate that because I can't cap your happiness and joy and and why would I want to? The human nature, we are, we are hardwired for connection. Connection, that's the, our blood. We're not meant to condemn to criticize, to hold in contempt. When we give birth, we give birth to someone. Why don't we take that through our lives? When we give birth, we manifest forward. I'd rather fail forward than fall behind. Why? Because at least I know where I'm gonna fall. So why not offer that to someone? 
So I'm curious, to what extent and how have you experienced a moment in your life where you felt fully supported in order to be your most authentic self and share that that moment in joy with others? Just knowing that you're, you mentioned, you know, it's not your parents necessarily, it's the, the community that you felt honored, you felt supported, that you were, that you were nourished and were able to bloom. I think the most recent example of that is when, before it became, before I was able to progress in my career, there was a person who we became friends because I was able to assist him achieve something. And then he gave me the opportunity um, in a managerial role and he supported me. Um, he believed in me and he showed me by example how to be. And that was an interesting part because that year that happened, but the year before someone took me out of a difficult situation and also gave me the opportunity to show who I was. And I highlight those two moments because they followed each other and both happened at a point in my life where I felt or I was feeling that this path from a career perspective wasn't the right one. And I was blessed enough that not only one person, but two people were put in my life who gave me the support until this day. They're part of my tribe. And one of them retired and I made sure I showed up because I want to give a speech at the retirement. And they did, even though I wasn't in the department anymore. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful for me to speak on their behalf and to see them overcome with, with tears and emotions. It was my opportunity to tell everyone how important this person is because she knew, but to, it's one thing to say it in front of the person or to tell the person, but when you stand up at their going away in front of a crowd, it's more impactful. I'm so tracking that. I mean, have you ever written, like, for example, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, write a recommendation or a testimonial for someone and they don't know what's coming. Or, and, or you give a kudos and you post it in your main feed and it goes out to the world. Who sees it? I don't know. And they don't know it's coming. And it's just like, yeah, and I don't do it for that. But I just know, like, it feels so, so good just to give that. When do you feel most authentic? When I'm doing this. Um, when I'm in my own element. When I'm at home, I feel my most authentic. I always feel it's me showing everyone that although there's this picture of me, very positive, very upbeat. I'm no different than anyone else. I have my struggles. Um, I feel my most, uh, me being authentic or feeling my most authentic is when I'm in a pair of sweatpants and I'm just being like everyone else that's in their 30s, where I can say what I want, I can do what I want, I can behave how I behave. But I will say, actually, let me take that a step further. When I can tell someone something about myself and it connects them, that's who I am to, to my soul. You know, the, what I do that pays the bills, that's me to a degree. Mm -hmm. The person I am when I'm in the grocery store, that's me to a degree. But when I am so me when I am doing this and, I, and that's why I love doing this so much because I love conversations. I love the stories. It's just... I'm trying to find the words for it. It's just me. You're so thick in yourself that it's, it's you can't separate the two. You can't separate the authenticity. It's just so 
not necessarily tra- I mean, transparent for sure. Authentic is just so and vulnerable at the same time because it's like the the sense. Of, that's what the thing I love about what you said was that just the being in your skin is what I heard. What you said resonated with me, and I think I just had a moment. Thank you for this. And I don't mean to make this about me. That um, I feel so challenged regarding not to sell people something, but to um, even just mention anything that I have that's for sale because it's just not. It's not who I am, it's what I've done. And although I believe in my my product, I'm my product, so to speak, um, I'd rather just sit and be rather than give and tell to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'll piggyback on that. Me trying to figure out how I'm going to help the world because right. that's what I believe my mission is. Right. My mission, I believe in my soul, I- is that I put on this earth to impact as many people positively as I can. That is me being 100% authentic. I'm feeling I got goosebumps. You can see it. I got, I'm feeling that. It's like literally, can you see it? Can you see it? Look, can you see it? And I know that to be true. At the same time, you want to touch the world one person at a time. You want to be so thick in it. And I mean this in the best possible way. You'd be so thick in the content of another person's reality, their world, their life, their their heart, their authenticity, their vulnerability. Because, I mean, you can cut yourself open. That's that's the true measure of vulnerability. Encourage. Bravery is cutting yourself open, not literally. And opening up your so your soft underbelly falls on the ground. And who's going to be there to pick it up and, and help put it back? That's risk. That's courage. And what I hear from you, what I see, what I feel, that's the I can see something, I can, what I hear is one thing, what I see is another, what I feel. That is my litmus test. What I feel, and you just saw it, is that you're willing to take on every single person's story and be there and listen. Maybe the listening is the doing, the being there, because we're human beings and allow it to, in fact, is not the right word, to, to birth and touch. Because when we touch one, you touch one, then there's five others, and each one of these these touch five others, for example, and and then I mean, just it just it just spreads like a outbreak. You articulated it so well. That's exactly what it is. Is oh. that I'm a part. If I can put a smile on someone's face, my job is complete. Mm-hmm. Is that one smile? This this a ripple. It's a ripple. It's a wave. With each subsequent moment, with each breath. Yeah, we touched on it earlier um, when we mentioned. My sisters, like another example would be, imagine you had an argument with someone that was close to you, right? They step out the door, they went on the way, boom, they get hit by a car. I hate that moment when the argument stops. Oh gosh, and even before. Oh. Okay. I don't want that for it any hurts. person, right? Because then, and I thought about this when you mentioned it. Imagine what you would feel that the last conversation they had on this earth was a disagreement with you. You'd feel guilt, you'd feel remorse, you feel like you played a part in their death. What I want is the opposite of that. I want to be part of someone, I want to be the sunshine in someone's day. I want to be the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to be that person that moves the clouds and lets the person feel the rays of joy. That's what I want. 